But we are back in Philippians chapter 3 this morning. If you take your hand out, you can turn it over and you can kind of see where we've been on this journey. Uh, for those visiting with us who haven't been here maybe for some time, uh, you can clearly see at the bottom of the back of your page just this journey we've been on. And now we are in, well into chapter 3. And in chapter 3, we have already seen this exhortation. It comes in the form of a very strong imperative in Philippians chapter 3, verse 1. And here's the imperative. Rejoice in the Lord. Starts off the entire discussion, in my opinion. It was almost like Paul shares this imperative in a very dynamic way and says, rejoice in the Lord, and then there's a pause. And as you look through the rest of chapter 3, it's almost as if Paul is saying, okay, here are things that are going to terrorize that joy. Here are things that are going to enhance that joy. Here are practical ways you can express that joy. And so today we are into the latter parts of this chapter, middle parts of this chapter, as we work towards the latter parts, in verses 8 and 11, 8 through 11, all kind of remembering that when we talk about rejoicing the Lord, we're talking about a very practical aspect of, hey, be happy in Jesus. Be glad because of your Savior. Be noticeably cheerful because of what God the Father has done through Jesus on the cross and what the Holy Spirit of God is doing in our hearts. Know all the events of our lives aren't going to align themselves to be perfect and without trouble or trial, as we clearly say today. But yes, even through all of that, we realize that our joy is not dependent on outward circumstances. It is dependent on the inner work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. That God the Father, through Christ and the Spirit, all working together to put our smile on our face even when we don't feel like it. Rejoice in the Lord, Paul says. And so that drives us, as we just mentioned, in the discussion. Today, verses 8 through 11, rejoice. And here's one way we rejoice. Last, two weeks ago, rejoice in the surpassing worth of Jesus Christ. Now carrying right into this text today, rejoice with the opportunity we have to know Jesus Christ. Knowing Christ. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we can rejoice from the inside out because God has given us the grace to truly know Jesus Christ. And so that's the discussion today. And if you would follow along, I just want to read verses 8 through 11. And when we come to this word, know, go ahead, feel free if you like to mark in your Bibles or highlight on your device to circle or highlight the words know and knowing in this passage because this is what Paul is highlighting through the next couple verses Starting with verse 8, Paul says this, Indeed, I count everything as loss, as we looked at a couple weeks ago, because of the surpassing worth of what? Knowing Christ. Knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for his sake I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. Verse 10. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection 
and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Verse 11, that by any means possible, I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. So clearly through this text today, Paul is highlighting something. That is this concept of knowing God. That I may know him. The surpassing worth of knowing God. So in our minds this morning, we want to ask this question. What does it mean to know Christ? Not an overly complicated discussion this morning, but a very practical one. What does it mean to truly know Jesus Christ? This morning in outline form, you'll, you'll see there on your handout, knowing Christ involves an experiential relationship. Knowing Christ involves an established relationship. And knowing Christ involves an enduring relationship. It continues on. All of those points that are made today rally around this one word relationship. To know Christ means to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. So when we talk of this, these verses today, when we get into these verses, we realize that Paul is encouraging us. He is compelling us towards a progressive, a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. Let's begin with the first one there this morning. And let's just work our way through the text. Knowing Christ involves an experiential relationship. Okay, what do we mean by that? Paul says here in this verse, Indeed, I count everything as loss, verse 8, for the surpassing worth, or because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Then verse 10, in this dynamic prayer, and I'll just say this, in college, there were certain verses that God gripped my heart. As a freshman in college, all the way through my senior year, God gripped my heart with verse 10 of chapter 3. That I might know Jesus. Know him in an enduring way, and that's what we're talking about today. But first here we find knowing Christ involves an experiential relationship. That I may know him. What does it mean to know well, to know is a word in the original language. There's a couple different words for know in the Greek language. This particular word is one that means not simply to understand intellectually, but to experience practically. Both of those. You cannot have one or the other. You have to have the intellectual understanding of what's happening, but at the same time you have to have the experiential knowledge. You have to, you have to genuinely experience what you're talking about. What you're understanding, experiencing the facts. This knowledge is not just a mental recognition, it's an experiential relationship. It's not just an understanding about something, but a personal experience with something. It's not just mental facts, but it is close, active interest and interaction. That's what the new, this New Testament word for knowledge is. Not just intellectual understanding or mental assent, but an experiential knowledge, a relationship. And that is what Paul is talking about here. This is not foreign to our everyday life. I'm thinking about that this week, thinking about the many things we talk about. Uh, I know that. I was asking my kids last night, what's the difference between knowing something and knowing something? <laughs> Dad, are you off your rocker? <laughs> you know, what's going on, Dad? 
knowing something and knowing something. But there is a big difference between knowing something and knowing something. To know something means more than just understanding it up here. It means to put it into practice. That's not that much different than some of the very practical ways we think of life. A couple illustrations that came to my mind, as ridiculous as they might be, I'm going to show them right now. I happen to love roller coasters. As crazy as my stomach feels on roller coasters, I love them. Ivan was going to... uh, online this week looking at different roller coasters and you can see all of the different specs the max speed the crazy name of this ride the maximum height you can even click on there and you can watch a video of this thing going up 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 you know what I'm talking about till finally crests and then all of a sudden your heart is pounding at the top of your head it moved all the way to your brain with your stomach everything's up here and you're also you're going down and around And here's the deal. I mean, I I enjoyed several roller coasters, but I haven't experienced all of them. My daughter Kara and I happen to have a a, a neat appreciation of roller coasters. We like going on them together. Um, Hannah will endure it. Kara loves it. I do too. And so we're going on these things, but if I look online, I can look at all about the information of that roller coaster, but it's a lot different than this. Actually doing it. Looking at the information about the roller coaster is a bit different than actually experiencing the roller coaster. Uh, we went to, uh, on off-season, it was great. We were down in Florida. We went off-season to Animal Kingdom, which is about the animals down in Orlando, Florida. But there was one ride that we as a family loved, Mount Everest. Anybody re- written on that, Animal Kingdom? Okay, that was our favorite one, just as a family. Well, as you go through those, you, you find the different cameras where they're at. And we started having fun. So every time we go through a camera, we'd find a different place and make uh, signs. So I enjoy riding roller coasters. I also enjoy hunting. So this is my daughter, Kara, and this is me hunting. Experiencing a roller coaster. I love hunting. For me, it's that therapeutic time away from the norm where I can take my Bible, I can pray, I can get into the backwoods, and I can enjoy God's creation all with a gun or a bow in my hand. This is a blessing from God. I'm going to tell you, there are certain units that I hunt that I feel like I know because I've studied them uh, on paper. You can go to Google Maps, you can go and see all of the topos and how they form. You can find your, tra- your paths all the way through this mountains. You make a plan, you find the bedding areas, you find the north-facing slopes where you're going to set up because of the wind and the thermals for the elk hunting. I feel like I'm ready to experience this. And I start talking of this u- unit to somebody else who's been there, and they're like, you don't understand. <laughs> you think you know it all because you got it up here. And then I'm like, well, okay, I'm going to give it a shot. And I start heading out into that unit. And before like two or three days of climbing over trees and finding trails that are in existence, I realized that I didn't know that unit. It's one thing to know it up here through information. It's another thing to actually experience it. I love, uh, several of you in here, I love fishing. I love fishing. Uh, but I have done almost entirely land fishing. I have not done this. I love watching it on the Outdoor Channel and seeing these guys pulling these massive deep sea fish. But I've never really experienced it. For, so for me to come into a conversation and these guys talking about deep sea fishing and I'm going to be like, yeah, I know what you're talking about. I got it. But I've never done it. It's ridiculous. 
I can know facts about it, but I've never actually experienced it. Maybe someday, by the grace of God, I will. I think of that in many other ways. This used to be out of our back window in Colorado. This is Mount Albert. It's the second highest peak in the lower 48 states. People in town in Leadville and people that come from around the world to climb Mount Albert, to spend time in all of those mount, mountains, Mount Albert, Mount Massive, all of the collegiate peaks, they'd spend time. We would look at it, and there were some in town that would live there 30, 40 years and talk about how amazing this mountain is. And they know all the facts about the ma- mountains, all the different curvatures of the mountains, all the different trails, and you're like, yeah, and, and how did you like that trail? And they're like, oh, well, I've ever, never actually really been up there, which is fine. But in my mind, as I'm hiking up that thing a couple years ago, and Hannah actually went up as well, as you're hiking up this thing, and your heart is just like pounding because of the lack of elevation, and you're coming up to the third fall summit, and you're like, that wasn't on paper. I still got to go that way? And you're hiking it thinking, I am truly experiencing this mountain. All of the things I could have studied about this don't matter compared to actually what I'm doing right now. My feet are on this trail. So there's a difference between knowing something and knowing something. A couple more ridiculous illustrations. By the way, this is the top of Mount Albert. It's a little different looking down than it is looking up, having experienced the mountain. Okay, sports fans, I love this because there's certain soccer guys that I interact with that feel like they really know how to play soccer because they own their friends in FIFA 2019 or 2020. This video game, they can beat anybody on the block. And they're like, I know soccer. Okay, let's go to the soccer field. Do you know soccer? They know about the game. They do not know the game. This is happening today. Super Bowl 54 Several of us in this room will watch this. We will enjoy this game if you can. Just wear red because someone's wearing red today at the game. Cheer for either sides or both sides. Just praise God that we're not cheering for the New England Patriots. Sorry, Derek. (laughs) But whatever the case is, we are going to have some information about this game if we watch it on TV. However, it is not nearly as the experience as some are going to experience being in the Hard Rock Stadium in Miami, Florida, actually watching the game. Even more those standing on the sidelines or even more those participating in the huddle. They are experiencing it. It's one thing to experience it up here or through here. It's another thing to actually put it to practice. I think about this in so many other areas of life. But the fact is we don't know how to build a house by playing Minecraft. We don't know how to snowboard because we watch the Winter X Games. We don't know how to race cars because we really like Formula One. We aren't master chefs because we read a cookbook or, ob- or observe chop on TV. It's one thing to know observable facts about something or someone. It's another thing to truly know something or someone. And let's get right to the point of the passage. It's one thing to say, I know Christ because I know stories about this Savior. It's another thing to know him, to know Christ because I've truly experienced Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I have a personal relationship with him. I am his and he is mine. To know Jesus. And that is exactly what the Apostle Paul is talking of in this passage. The surpassing worth, Paul says, 
of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. When we look at this know in this passage, it's so much more than intellectual ascent. It's a personal relationship with the great creator and sustainer of all life. It is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I love the concept of personal, especially with this first person, personal, uh, possessive pronoun, my. Intentional. Knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, Paul says. Paul is saying, Jesus is mine. Church in Philippi, I'm writing this. I want the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. He saved my wretched soul. He's redeemed me. He's lifted me up out of the miry clay. And he's set my feet on a rock. He's my Lord. He's my Savior. I have experienced him personally. And then Paul in verse 10 says this, that I may know him. A dynamic prayer overflowing the passion of the Apostle Paul that is seen all the way through the book of Philippians and now comes out with pen and paper. Paul writing this through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and his heartbeat just overflows into pen and he says, that I may know him. I have experienced Jesus personally, Paul says. I know that because of verse 8. I have already experienced him personally, but I want this relationship to be more than an event. I want it to be ongoing, to be enduring. That is the relationship that we find in the New Testament. To know Christ means more than just an event of knowledge, something that happens. To know Christ means to endure with this Savior, Jesus Christ. So let's continue looking at this text. Knowing Christ means an experiential relationship. Knowing Christ involves an established relationship. So in my mind, I like to ask questions. Okay, so then how do I truly know Christ? How do I experience Christ? That's a great question. And that answer is all, all over the map theologically. So how some people say I can know Christ personally is by stacking up, just like we talked last week, stacking up all of my merit on one side. If I do all of these things, I truly know Christ. If I get everything just right in my life, now I know Christ. Well, listen to what Paul has to say about that in verse 9. And be found in him not having my own righteousness that comes from the law. Obedience, as we've looked at, I'm not going to go back, reach too far back into our last text, but obedience to the law, the Old Testament law, and this self-merit that comes from obeying the law that these Judaizers had. Paul says, I want to be found in him not having mine own righteousness. That doesn't get me anywhere. But the surpassing worth of knowing it, truly experiencing Jesus Christ, and how does this experience happen? It happens by faith. You know, sadly, in our minds, we think of God as this, I don't know, this, this jolly, cosmic Santa Claus in heaven that looks down on earth and is like, woo, nice, no, naughty. You're on the naughty side, you're on the nice side. And somehow, if we ease the, the scales enough towards the nice side, God, our Heavenly Father, will bless us with his grace. Brothers and sisters, as we've talked regularly the last couple weeks, there's absolutely nothing we can do to impress a holy God. There's no merit on my own that I can do to make God want to love me more. 
He has already showered me with his grace through the person and work of Jesus Christ. And that's exactly what Paul says. Be found in him not having mine own righteousness that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God. It is a gift from God. The righteousness from God that comes or that depends on what? Faith. What's the key word here? It is this word, faith. Faith is a belief in action. I loved the quoting of James last week. Active faith. Faith is not true faith if it is faith that sits in a chair and waits. Faith is faith as it actively involves and actively participates in the grace of God. Faith is belief and action. Faith is active trust. Faith is full confidence that leads to faithful dependence. Faith is complete dependence that leads to continual devotion. That is what true biblical faith is. In order to truly know Christ, to experience Christ, our relationship must be established through faith in Jesus Christ. Realizing we cannot do anything to manipulate this relationship with God. It is all of grace. Well, the point is this. We cannot truly experience Christ, know Christ, apart from faith. So the natural question is this. Have you placed your faith and trust in Christ Jesus alone for your salvation? Many people want to, and we know this, we observe this every day. Many people want to experience Jesus experience relationship, experience, really what they want to do is experience religion. The fact of the matter is the scripture says you don't experience religion, you experience relationship with Jesus Christ that comes by faith. I don't know where you're at in your spiritual life right now, this morning. I can imagine in a, in a group like this, there are several that have been wrestling with this for some time. Will I place my faith and trust in Christ alone, by grace alone, to save my soul? And my heart cry this morning, just as the entire congregation says this morning, whether you're young, maybe you're a teen working through this in your own life, maybe you're older and you've heard these things, maybe you're midlife and you're wrestling through these things, my overwhelming cry this morning is don't wait, put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Experience this Savior That you truly could identify with Paul in this passage where he says, this is Christ Jesus, my Lord. He's my Savior and my Lord. Would you come to him this morning? As a little 10-year-old boy, I had heard the Jesus talked. I knew all the Jesus discussions. I was a preacher's kid. I memorized so many Jesus verses. I loved going to Jesus' place, the church, with Jesus' people. And hearing all these things, I'm going to tell you as a young 10-year-old boy, it was like the blindfold was taken off my eyes. It's not about you, Andrew, and what good you can do. It is about Jesus coming to wash your sins away. I remember the night as if it was tonight when I called on Jesus to save my soul. My prayer is that if there's someone here this morning that has never placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that today would be that day that you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Call on the name of Jesus to save you. So, 
this relationship, Paul distinguishes in this passage, is clearly one that's an experiential relationship. It's clearly one that is established on Christ and faith in Christ, not my own works. But then Paul doesn't stop the discussion there. And that's what we're going to carry on in the next 15, 20 minutes. Paul carries this discussion from more than an established relationship now to an enduring relationship, which, brothers and sisters in Christ, that is so important to our journey in Christ Jesus. Jesus Christ didn't just come to set us free from sin in an event. Jesus Christ came to save us from our sins in a very practical way every day of our lives as we grow in him. And that is what Paul says here. This experiential knowledge of Jesus Christ is more than just being saved from the penalty of sin. It is being saved from the power of sin in my life today. So let's read about that. If you look with me at verse 10. Knowing Christ involves an enduring relationship. And Paul says this, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. And that I might share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. That by any means possible, I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Okay, let's just kind of dig in here. He says, that I may know him, highlighted in red up there. What is he talking about? Paul is using what's known as an heiress active here. It's, it's very active sense of knowing Christ. It's not just an event that happens. It is an ongoing thing that will carry on. And Paul says that I might know him in a very active way. That I might know him personally. I love how he says it. I can imagine Paul as he's writing through this. He get, comes to verse 9 and says it's very clear that I cannot establish a relationship with God on my own merit only by faith. And I can imagine a bit of a pause in the prison, and we need to remember that this is happening in great trial in Paul's life. He pauses, I can imagine, and he just cries out his heart. Oh, that I may know him. This man who was apprehended, as we'll see in a couple weeks, he was apprehended on the road to Damascus. This man who God drastically changed his, his life. Jesus Christ himself saying to, to Paul on the road, Paul, what are you doing? It's hard for you to kick against the goads, Paul. Come to me, Paul. Jesus Christ establishing this relationship with Paul, but realizing, Paul realizing the relationship didn't stop on that road or through the next couple of days as he wrestled with a relationship with God and blindness. The relationship happened the next three years in Arabia as he studied Jesus. It happened the rest of his life as he walked with Jesus. And Paul says this, that I may know him. He wanted to continue to experience Christ day after day. He wanted more than an occasional conversation. He wanted an ongoing discussion. I think of that in terms of my wife and I. I am not super good at, um, what do you call that, multitasking? So for me, we need to ha start a conversation and end it. Hannah's very good at multitasking. We could start a discussion, and I think in my mind it's kind of closed. We finished the discussion, we worked on, or else it's something, you know, maybe it didn't bring resolve, but we at least discussed it. Check, right? Three hours later, out of the blue, sitting at lunch, all of a sudden she'll bring up the rest of the conversation. I'm like, whoa, where'd that come from? 
And I have to go back in my mind and re-engage in that. I like to think in terms of events. She, her life just kind of keeps going, and, and she has to with all these five kids, you know, and keeping life going to carry on these conversations. And I think of that in terms of what Paul is saying here with this relationship with God. It is to carry on. It is a conversation that is continuing, not just an event that has happened. It's a carried on conversation. And Paul says, that I may know him, continuing on with this relationship. But then he says something very peculiar, especially to those of us in a, in a theological world that wants to kind of extract suffering from the life of a believer. Oh, that suffering stuff is something we don't want to touch, so we keep it at an arm's distance, or even better yet, we don't touch it with a 10-foot pole. We don't want to talk about suffering. But that is so uncharacteristic of what Paul says in this passage. What does Paul say? That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share of his sufferings. Paul's praying, I want to share in your suffering, Jesus. I mean, it's interesting, though, if you go through the text, that he starts first with talking of the resurrection, and then he talks of the suffering. In our minds, we think maybe that should be swapped. But first of all, he recognizes the power of the resurrection. So let's think of that in our minds. Paul says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. I want to experience the power of the resurrection, not just once in my life, but every single day of my life. Well, how does that work? I want to say, brothers and sisters in Christ, you know how the power of the resurrection works? It happens as we obey God every moment of every day. That is the power of the resurrection in our lives. The power of the resurrection is seen by Paul in the book of Galatians. We're in Galatians 2.20. You know this verse. I love this verse. I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I what? I live. Yet not I, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live here in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So what's Paul saying? Resurrection power is seen as I obey God today and tomorrow and the next day and the next day till I breathe my last breath. That is resurrection power. I think resurrection power is clearly seen in the resurrection chapter. In your minds, what's the resurrection chapter? 1 Corinthians 15. At the end of 1 Corinthians 15, you know what Paul says? But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now here's the challenge. Therefore, after talking of the resurrection, my beloved brothers, here it is, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. So what is resurrection power? Resurrection power is the grace that God gives us to live the Christian life today, to obey today. Resurrection power is seen when we say yes to holiness and no to the selfish lust that consumes our flesh. Resurrection power is seen when we say yes to kindness and love and patience and no to anger and hostility and hatred. Resurrection power is seen when we live daily lives that embrace our roles as cross-centered followers of Jesus Christ. That is resurrection power. Resurrection power, very practically, is when we today obey God's word. When we today walk in the spirit. 
when we today serve the body of Christ. That is resurrection power. And Paul says this, that I may know him and the resurrection power power of his resurrection and then he continues after we've already talked of the power of the resurrection he talks of this thing that we like to keep away and that is suffering becoming like him in his death as I share in his sufferings ever just stop and let that sink in that I might share in the sufferings of Jesus Christ to share means to partner with It means to participate with. In some of your translations, it will actually use the word fellowship with. It's the word koinonia in the New Testament. It is close communion. And what does Paul say? That I might koinonia, that I might have true fellowship with Christ in his sufferings. Not to escape suffering, but to embrace the suffering of this life. Because God, and here's the reason. And we know this. It's clear all the way through the scriptures. Why? Because it is through suffering that God is growing us in dependence to him. That I would embrace this suffering. This weekend in my mind I'm thinking, what, what kind of a sick thought is that, Paul? This ascetic fantasy of Paul that I would just have a bad life. That's not what he's saying. It is not this ascetic fantasy from Paul. It is very simply a very practical application to the comfort that only Christ can bring through suffering. Brothers and sisters in Christ, it is not a matter of if, it is a matter of when suffering of life comes. Trials and temptations and burdens, financially, physically, socially, relationally, psychologically, whatever it may be in your life. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when As we go through scriptures, as we remind ourselves often, God the Father through Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit is not simply extracting us from our suffering. He is walking with us through our suffering. This is the beauty of the power of the resurrection. The beauty of the comforter, the Holy Spirit of God. This suffering is how what God uses in our lives to grow us. This is not only particular to Paul. I love what the author of Hebrews says. It very well may be Paul. But the author of Hebrews says this, For because he himself has suffered, talking of Christ, because Christ himself suffered when when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Do you realize that? The suffering you're going through this week The temptations you're working through this week, Jesus Christ came to this earth as God in the flesh and he went through these things to help walk with us through this. He suffered. I love what Peter says. We had this discussion in our men's uh, study on Tuesday morning, our prayer time. For to this you uh, have been called, Paul said, or Peter says, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. And what are these steps? He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges righteously or justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin, and here it is, live to 
righteousness by whose wounds you have been healed. The thought for me is this. God is using trials in my life right now. God is using uncertainties. God is using suffering to make me more like Christ. God is using suffering because Christ suffered well. And because Christ suffered well, I too can suffer well through the grace of his resurrection power. I can suffer well by being obedient to God through suffering today and tomorrow and the next day. We can suffer well because Christ suffered well. Again, I don't want to be disingenuous in any way to some going through suffering right now, but I know this dynamic assurance from the scriptures that we can suffer well because Christ suffered well. But that's not the end of the story because Paul then brings up this part of the story. That if by any means possible, I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. What's Paul saying here? Paul's basically saying, and I don't want to be flipping about this or anything, but he's basically saying because of God's grace, bring it on. (laughs) If by any means, it doesn't matter what trial comes my way because I know in whom I have believed and am assured that he's got me. He is faithful. Paul says this, if by any means, okay, whatever it might be comes my way, I know who's got me. I know I will be resurrected from the dead in the last days. So bring it on. By God's grace, bring on the growth that happens through suffering, through being squeezed in this life. Whatever suffering comes my, by my way, by God's grace, I will embrace with resurrection power. And this, again, is not uncommon to what he's already said in this chapter. Do you remember with me what Paul says in, verse, in chapter 1, verse 21, talking about this type of suffering, humiliation? What does he say? For me to live is Christ, and what? To die is gain. He's already mentioned this. He's already mentioned this in, in verse 29 of chapter 1. What does he say? Remember, for it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also what? Suffer for his sake. Praise God for this fact as we wrap this up this morning. That through suffering, we can experience the power of Christ in a very real and enduring way. Today, tomorrow, the next day the next day, all the way until our last day, and then we will see him face to face. This week I was overwhelmed with a song of one of my heroes, Fanny Crosby. Thinking of this song that she wrote, and I've already mentioned this in a past sermon, that I may know him. I will know him. I will know him. This woman who went through her life in blindness as a young child being treated, mistreated and losing her sight, now memorizing massive portions of scriptures so that she might know him. And when she was asked, would you want your sight? She says, no, 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 I don't need my sight because I know the first person I'm going to see is my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That I'll know him because I know that through the suffering of this life, there's a next life. Because of an established relationship and experience in Jesus Christ, I now have an enduring relationship that is going to carry me right to the very end. I was also encouraged this week by um, a quote, a series of quotes from one of my heroes, Charles Haddon Spurgeon. And actually, Dave Messier shared some of this this week through a Facebook post. And I've been looking at the life of Charles Spurgeon, but Dave shared this from Charles Spurgeon as Charles Spurgeon, the Prince of Preachers, 
he says this, you sometimes get taken by the Lord to the mountaintop and you have such sweet communion with him. And then you say, my mountain standeth firm, I will never be moved. Spurgeon says this, oh, ah, oh, poor simpleton. You do not know what you are saying. For in a short time you may go down into the depths and cry, all the waves of, and thy billows have gone over me. You think that God has forgotten to be gracious and you begin to write bitter things against yourself, whereas that is the very time to have faith in Christ, faith in God. You think that you will use your candle in the daytime? But candles were made for the night. Faith is not meant for sweet frames and feelings only. It is meant for dark frames and horrible feelings. We are drawn to this. And I continue on as I think of Charles Haddon Spurgeon and some of the things he said about, about suffering. This is a man, the prince of preachers, who in his late 40s and mid-50s went through some horrible things when it came to social unrest in his life, psychological depression in his life, when it came to practical relationship headaches in his life, and physical headaches in his life. As a 54-year-old man working through some crazy physical stuff, Charles Haddon Spurgeon writes this. He says this, I have been cast into the waters to swim in, which but for God's upholding hand would have proved waters to drown in. I have endured tribulation from many flails. Sharp body pain succeeded, mental depression, and this was accompanied by both bereavement and affliction in the person of one dear as life, and that was his wife, Susanna, who died in the same year that he did. The waters rolled in continually, wave upon wave. Have you ever felt that way? The waves just keep crashing. You can't get out of them. The Prince of Pe- Preachers, Charles Spurgeon, talks of this. The waves came and they crashed and crashed, wave upon wave. I do not mention this to exact sympathy, but simply to let the readers see that I am no dry land sailor. I have traversed those oceans many a time. I know the roll of the billows and the rush of the winds. And I love this resolve. Never were the promises of Jehovah so precious to me as it was at that hour. He wrote this as a 53-year-old preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ four years later to be transferred from this life into the next. A young preacher, 57, standing in the presence of an almighty God, knowing how to suffer well because he had a Savior that suffered well. As we look at this passage today, We can maybe bring it down to this, this key idea. Sustained joy, as we think of verse 1 in chapter 3, sustained joy comes through knowing Christ personally. Sustained joy doesn't come by extracting ourselves from suffering. Sustained joy comes as we walk with God through suffering. Sustained joy comes especially through suffering. Knowing Christ involves an experiential relationship. Knowing Christ involves an established relationship. And knowing Christ experientially involves an enduring relationship. So what? Let's wrap this up today. The question is on the table. Do I know Christ personally? Do you know Christ? Have you come to the place in your life where you've transferred your trust from you and your own life and your own goodness and your own merit? 
solely on the person and work of Jesus Christ. The compelling call today is, would you call on Jesus Christ to save you by faith? Come to him. Again, like I said, there may be some teens here, there may be some young adults here, or someone older in your life that is very interested in this. Would you come to Jesus Christ by grace through faith today? In just a minute, the music team will play. Would you come to Jesus? It doesn't, nothing says you have to come to Jesus here in the congregation. That might be in the quietness of your own home, but I, I know this, that maybe God is pulling on your heartstrings right here, right now. I would say don't wait. I mentioned the fact that I was a 10-year-old boy when I came to Jesus. You know where I was when I came to Jesus? I was sitting on the back row. Back row of the church. My dad was preaching. And God got a hold of my heart. And when he closed, when people closed their eyes at the end of the service, I came right down to the front. My dad was standing up there. I said, Dad, I want to be saved. I want to get saved. Maybe God's calling on your heart this morning. Would you obey God? Here's another question posed this morning. Am I enduring with Christ faithfully? Suffering well because Christ suffered well. Experiencing Christ in a very experiential experiential way. Walking with Christ through suffering. Obeying Christ today that I might know him. The power of his resurrection and the fellowship, the sharing of his suffering being made conformed to his death.